Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. Today, I am joined once again by Daniel, who kindly agreed to come back and talk about Wheel of Time with me again. He just did a fist bump. Daniel recently started his own podcast called Reinventing the Wheel of Time, which you can find on Spotify. Do you want to give us like a one sentence pitch for your podcast, Daniel? Reinventing the Wheel of Time is just a fan discussion between me and friends talking about the new TV show adaptation of The Wheel of Time and our joy at reading The Wheel of Time books and just different theories we have about where the TV show might go. Yeah. And a lot about stories and like what inspires us in stories. And like, it's not just about Wheel of Time. We've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> Ultimately, it's it's about finding why people enjoy reading and rereading The Wheel of Time, because The Wheel of Time is just a collection in particular of many different stories from yeah. many different cultures. And so I kind of had this idea of seeking out what other people like reading in stories, like what are they looking for? Um, and then just kind of relating that to the Wheel of Time. Nice. So if you hadn't guessed, this time we are talking about The Great Hunt by Robert Jordan. Here is the summary. For centuries, gleemen have told the tales of the great hunt of the horn. So many tales about each of the hunters and so many hunters to tell of. Now the horn itself is found. The horn of Valir, long thought only legend. The horn which will raise the dead heroes of the ages. And it is stolen. The Great Hunt was published in 1990 and is the second book in the Wheel of Time series. Our author, James Rigney Jr., better known by his pen name Robert Jordan, was born in 1948 and died in 2007. We talked about him a lot in our episode on the Eye of the World, so I just want to kind of jump right into The Great Hunt. Sure. Um, and I'm not going to like summarize what happened in Eye of the World because if I do that, we'll be here all day. <laughs> Easily. So just right off the bat, I found this book to be a lot easier for me to get into immediately. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because it started off with more point of views, like more perspectives immediately. You jump in and you have, I mean, you have Rand still because mm -hmm. he's who we spent like 90% of book one with. But you get Leandrin and Moraine and Egwene and like a bunch of other people immediately. Yeah, I think he realized, and this is probably something um, his wife Harriet had advised him on and different conversations perspectives on where he wanted this story to go um he realized that he needed those additional perspectives yeah um it really gives a fuller view of the world oh yeah because you get to see like rand only knows so much mm -hmm. and the wheel of time world is so huge and so encompassing it's like it, you really need other perspectives in order to understand the world like yeah. and how big it is um, and I looked it up, and the fan wiki for Wheel of Time has breakdowns for whose pers what percentage of whose perspective we're in for each of the books. Mm -hmm. So, like, the first book is, like, 80% Rand, the second book is, like, 60% Rand, and then the third book is apparently only, like, 2% in Rand's perspective. That was something that upset our friend Becca quite a yes. bit, is because the third book is titled <laughs> The Dragon Reborn. And he's not even in it he's for most of it. barely in it. <laughs> um 
But as far as the story goes, the focus and, you know, Jordan's initial perspectives on what the story was going to be, um, the focus on the first book with Rand's struggle at being the chosen one and being torn from his home along with his friends. Yeah. And they all have a big part to play, but we don't really get a taste of that. There's hints at it, mm -hmm. but the story is all about Rand's struggle at coming to terms with this. And for better or worse, the first, or not the first, the next several books are still going to be about him coming to terms with this. Yeah. That's definitely a lot of what this book is, yeah. is Rand coming to terms with that. And he's no longer whining about his father not right. being his father. That comes up and is still a concern. But now he's realizing that there's so much more that's going to be on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And he's essentially now kicked out of the nest yep. by Moraine, which is hilarious. <laughs> it is so funny. <laughs> I'm sure it's super frustrating for Rand, but as someone reading this, like oh, yeah. Moraine was hilarious. In this like book. even even recalling like the very first times I read the books, the the Great Hunt in particular, the the circumstance of him leaving Faldara and having the chest full of fancy coats, yeah, and then him telling Huron and uh, Lord Ingtar that he's not a lord, he's just a shepherd, yeah. blah blah blah, and then they finally get to Kerhine. And now he's wrapped up in the game of houses uh -huh. and he almost can't escape it anymore because now everybody is starting to treat him more and more like yeah. a lord, partly because of his clothes, partly because of things that they've been told by mm -hmm. other people. And he essentially gets backed into a corner, whether he wants to or not, where not only is the weight of the world coming onto his shoulders, but other people are going to put him up there. Yeah. For better or worse, whether they understand who and what he is they see qualities in him and in the portrayal that he is some kind of important person mm -hmm. they still don't know that he's the dragon reborn necessarily he's still fighting against that and trying to keep that hush hush even his best friends still mm -hmm. don't really know the truth of everything it's just amusing to see somebody kind of put in that role yeah you know he still doesn't want to be he's not seeking the power he's right. not seeking the fame He's a reluctant hero, but the way Moraine has set this up is so masterful. She's <sighs> like, yeah, yeah, you can you can go do whatever you want. You're no longer my problem. Uh-huh. Um, not even going to talk to you anymore. Right. She's like, I don't see it. But she packs his bags for him, makes him second in command of the hunt, mm -hmm. uh, hides the dragon banner, mm -hmm. and makes Ingtar give it to him like when they're too far away from Faldara for him to complain. Yeah hilarious hilarious Ugh. so the world is now bigger you've got all yeah. these different perspectives um was there any particular characters that you started to be drawn to more um things are really spaced out in this book so you don't necessarily get a lot of one character's story for a while yeah i'm trying to think did we get Egwene in eye of the world at all like her perspective I don't believe so. I, I think it was think only so. Rand, Perrin, and Neneve. Yeah. So it was good to get her perspective to sort of see, like, who she is and what she thinks in her brain and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but we went and we followed, like, the riverboat captain from book one. Mm -hmm. Bail Doman. For, like, a really long time. Like, we got several chapters from him 
because he's like being chased by the dark friends in the mm-hmm. east and then goes to the Sanchen mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I was like, why are we here though? <laughs> the that definitely I can I can see being a noticeable distraction from the rest of the characters. Um given It was for a while and then they like pull it all together in the end. Yes. Um Yeah. And he, again He's another character that will kind of continue to play a part later yeah. in the story. Um, I actually just, I really liked Bale and Doman almost right off the bat mm-hmm. in the first book. I just thought he was a an interesting captain character, particularly when he revealed that he had this collection. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's kind of a fond collector of ancient relics. And I was mm-hmm. like, hmm, that's <laughs> got to be something or other. Yeah, yeah. And particularly... Uh, his collection and the thing that he comes to realize he's being chased for is Quindular. Yeah. Which is what the seals are made of. Yeah. It's supposed to be an indestructible material. Yeah. And. Well, the... he finds a seal. Yeah. Like that's what he's being chased for yeah. in this book is like a seal on the Dark One's prison. <laughs> yep. Um, that's fine. And then towards the end uh, of the Great Hunt, uh, we also run into more of the Sanchen mm-hmm. and find that they're also pursuing some of this stuff. Yeah. And that's where kind of his character arc kind of comes back in. He also meets uh, one of the captain of the Sanchen ship that first captures him essentially. Uh, Iganin, I always kind of mess up her name, um, but she is another character that kind of mm. plays around, you know, sticks around for a bit. Yeah. I mean, like I said, when we talked about Eye of the World, I just assume everyone will come back. Yeah. Like, I'm going to see all of these people until they die. Yeah. I assume. And then it, maybe after that. I don't know what the afterworld is I like love, in Wheel of Time I yet. love the precedent <laughs> and the, the kind of foreshadowing that yeah. I get to witness now. Um, being very familiar with where everybody's stories go later and seeing revisiting these books because mm-hmm. again I haven't read this series in uh, since like 2013 when the you last said book when came. the last book came out so yeah. almost 10 years and I've read so many other stories I've researched and reread so many other myths that are related to the wheel of time and mm-hmm. what Jordan was pulling from that it's been very exciting to revisit these characters and see why they do certain things or what their purpose is within the greater yeah. story. Yeah. Um, and Bale Doman is, is, is fun also because he's an Ileaner. Mm-hmm. So he has more of like an Irish lilt. But yeah, the world definitely gets bigger. What's the most interesting thing you came across in this particular book, this, okay. this neck of the story? Obviously, it's the stones in the alternate universe. Excellent, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of my highlighted notes is talking about the portal world. Yeah. And the flicker. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. Let's start with the prologue, which is the dark friends. So we get to see a gathering of dark friends get instructions from the dark one. And you get to see that, like, it's everybody and the dark one's influence is actually huge. Like, and there's Aes Sedai in the gathering. There's, like, Tinkers in the gathering. There's... (laughs) um, I got goosebumps. Yeah. There's, like every possible person from every possible walk of life except the Aiel question mark so far i don't think he called out any Aiel in that meeting i'm just keeping an eye out for that definitely <laughs> you know there were hundreds of people yeah. in that chamber and the the point of view character uh, bores mm-hmm. that we have is 
a very astute, very aware person. Yeah. And he's he knows how to read people. He knows how to read what they wear and tell where they're from. Yeah. Sum up their personalities. And definitely one of the key things that is revealed in this chapter is that there are at least two Aes Sedai in that chamber that are wearing their rings and yeah. not hiding it. Yeah. Which means that there are Black Aja sisters. That's a fact of life. Yeah. yeah. And what are, you, what are you talking about, Daniel? There oh, is no Black Aja no in Bossing Say. <laughs> <laughs> we do not talk about the Black right, Aja. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness! I love all the crossover references. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was one of the biggest things that that chapter sets up mm-hmm. is that precedent. Um, you because just that's, don't know who's a dark friend and who isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like you mentioned, people are in there are from everywhere. He talks about people from Tarabon. He talks mm-hmm. about people from Saldea and Tyr. Um, so didn't necessarily reference any Aiel. Right. But there you can pretty much assume that no corner is left untouched by right. the Dark One. Um, I did like the the fact that he shows up and like they describe the the way that everybody cowers, particularly mm-hmm. like the Trollocs cower the most. Right. And then everybody else is like forced to their knees. Mm-hmm. And even the Mirdral is like cowering before uh, Bialzaman mm-hmm. uh, appearing and just really setting up that terror yeah. that the Dark One instills. They're all afraid of him, but also like they want, they're following him because of the promise of power in the next life. Yeah. Basically. Yep. Do you have any suspicions about who Bors is? He's a child of the light, so I don't care. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Listen, we've talked about this on podcast, off podcast. Yep, yep. I just don't like them. <laughs> You're not supposed to. I, the he does it very well. I think it, it literally reveals in like one of the later chapters who he is. Um, and since spoiler or whatever, it's uh, Jockham Carradine. Okay. Uh, so yeah. he's he's the guy who goes and is commanded by uh, Pedrin Nile, the Lord Captain Commander of the White Cloaks, to take uh, a army of White Cloaks to Tarm, uh, to Tominhead. Tominhead. Tominhead and the city of Falma. The, the thing Falma. So yeah. So he's yeah. Again, now we know that even the White Cloaks. Invested yeah. by dark friends. Oh, shocks! Even though they're supposed to be hunting dark right, friends. Right, right. That's their whole thing. Uh, yeah, that whole thing is kind of wild. Um, but after the prologue, we begin in Faldara, a border town. It's a month after the Eye of the World, um, and there's a lot of time spent in this book waiting around in town just to see what happens next. Um, trying to decide when to leave uh rand is trying to leave trying to decide when to leave in order to protect all of his friends from himself because he's a male channeler and those eventually usually go mad um but he waffles around town so long that the amerlin seat arrives (laughs) so swan sanche the leader of the Aes Sedai, arrives uh and rand is like tries to hide from her, but he does the thing that he did in Camelin in the first book where he's like, I'll just go take a look. Nothing will go wrong if I just go take a look, right? Uh, <laughs> and he nearly got imprisoned in Camelin. Uh, and this time he, you know, gets roped into meeting with the Amerlin seat. 
And so we get Moraine's perspective before this, and we learn that she, Moraine, and the Amerlin seat have been working together, but pretending to be enemies, but they're working together because they want to find the dragon and help him and prevent him from falling to the Dark One. Whereas most Aes Sedai would rather kill the dragon? Not necessarily kill. The The concern there is, of course, he's a male channeler, so he's going to mm-hmm. go mad. So he's clearly dangerous. Mm-hmm. He must be controlled. He must right. be reined in. Right. Because the Aes Sedai at large also acknowledge that the dragon be born must also be a tool right. against he's, the dark in the last important. battle. Like... So they can't necessarily kill him. <laughs> they also, most of them wouldn't want to risk stilling him. Sure. Because in some way, his power is going to be a significant weapon against the Dark One in the last battle. Um, I remember when we talked about the Eye of the World, I mentioned Tarman Gaiden and then realized that the first book doesn't really talk about it. Uh, that's the last battle, right? Is yes. Tarman Gaiden. Yeah. Um, so it gets I don't mentioned... even know if they, do they mention it in The Great Hunt? Yeah. Like it gets once? mentioned by, yeah, like once or twice during the conversation yeah. that Moraine and uh, Swan and Varen have yeah. when talking to... Rand. They kind of yeah. interview him. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out is one of my favorite parts is the first scene that Rand has. He's training with Lon. Mm-hmm. And that's hinted at and talked about in the first book, that kind of mentorship. Yeah. Um, Lon trains all the boys in, in weaponry mm-hmm. and, and, you know, how to be a man and stand up for yourself. But yeah. he really narrow like, zeroes in on doing that for Rand because... He and Moraine have been, They've been looking, looking for, for him, him for 20 years. For 20 years. <laughs> so he has a different perspective on what Rand may need yeah. versus what Moraine and the Aes Sedai may need or want to do with him. Yeah. And Lon starts out kind of doing his own thing. And he and Moraine have a conversation later mm-hmm. that deals with that. But I love that scene and some of the, the dialogue that he has with Rand talking about what he needs to do to stand up for himself. Yeah. No matter what else the world brings to him and how much it has to, tries to bring him down and destroy him and break him down as a person, lands there to kind of build him up and tell yeah. him he has to he has to do it on his feet. Yeah. That's, that's one of the lines that I highlighted that I remember is like, the most important thing a man can do is face what's coming on his feet. Yeah. Like... There were some good lines in this one. Yeah. That was one of them. A lot of Land's interactions with Rand were, like, they only get a little bit because they're mm-hmm. split up pretty early. Mm-hmm. But it's very much like Land cares a lot and wants to, like, give Rand the tools for success that Land knows that he can give him. He's yeah. like, I can't teach you anything about magic, nope. but I can teach you how to be a man, yep. how to be a warrior. Like, there was a really funny line because they're training with the swords. Mm-hmm. And Lan is like, look, if I had five years, I could make you into master swordsman. As it is, you won't stab yourself in the foot, and yeah. that's all I've got for you. <laughs> like, better than he was previously. Do you what he can. What? Do what he can. The the other key phrase um, that comes in during that training, and we end up finding later at the end of oh, this yeah. book, is in regards to sheathing the sword. Oh, yeah. Um, And Lon has had this life of perspective where he knows 
he's going to die some at some point. Right. Whether he's in service of protecting Moraine, protecting Moraine or, or just charging into yeah. the Blight and going to fight the, the Dark One because his whole kingdom was overrun. Mm-hmm. And most of his people were scattered and destroyed. You know, he's the the lost king, the forgotten king, the yeah. you know Aragorn of the story. And his perspective in training and mentoring Rand kind of leans into that as well. And it's like, no matter what else happens, your life can still make a moment. Like right. you can you can be you can sacrifice yourself you can... to do something <laughs> yeah. bigger if needed. If you have to, your last option can be sacrificing yourself for the greater good. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of dark. Um, but, you know. So the Amaryllin seat and Moraine tell Rand that he is the dragon reborn. Mm-hmm. They're like, that's you, buddy. Yep. And Rand thinks that they are setting him up to be a false dragon under their control. Yeah. Which is, you know, he doesn't want to be on the strings of Tar Valen. That is something he says over and over is he's like desperate to do the absolute opposite of right. whatever <laughs> they tell him to do. And Moraine knows this, which is why she like starts the book. She doesn't talk to him at all. She just does things. She packs his bag for him. She sets him up as the leader of the hunt, the second in command of the hunt. Mm-hmm. She like sends the dragon's banner along because she's like, I can't do anything directly because I'm an Aes Sedai. And he knows that, and he's going to go the complete opposite of whatever I yeah. say. She's so much better at this than he is. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was raised in Karhain yep. doing the great game mm-hmm. nonsense. And then off to Aes Sedai, who are like masters of the great game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we talked about this a little bit earlier, but Rand's struggle throughout this book is to accept who and what he is. Yeah. Which is the dragon reborn and a channeler. And he has to accept that people will look to the dragon for leadership. Like, whoever claims that title, we've seen it in the first book. And I think in The Great Hunt, there's like three more false dragons or something. They're referencing some of the, the same ones. So you had the, the same ones. Um, the Varen uh, starts talking about uh, Mazram Tame. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if there was another one. I think the, the there was a third one mentioned, yeah. but uh, Guire Amelson um but he was like maybe a year before or something he doesn't right. get a whole lot of talk uh until later in the books yeah. they, they mention more of the false dragons a little bit but we find out anybody who declares themselves a fall like a dragon gets a following of people yeah like you don't even have to be the real dragon reborn you're just that name has so much influence behind it and it's a lot of responsibility and the line that repeats over and over as rand kind of figures this out for himself is that Death is lighter than a feather and duty is heavier than a mountain. And you see that like repeat over and over. And that's actually one of my favorite themes of that I see in books is like when people in positions of authority recognize and acknowledge that they have a responsibility to the people in their command. Yeah. Like, and that's something Rand goes through throughout this book. He's like, okay, I didn't want to be a lord or taken as a lord. But I let people assume that about me. So now I have to take the responsibility. Yeah. And like be the leader that I've let them think I am. Yeah, definitely one of the key things that I think as as people in general recognize and appreciate and ultimately respect the most is when they can see somebody else 
respecting the responsibility that they have been granted. Yeah, it taking wasn't, it seriously. It wasn't that they were given it, you know, willy-nilly or right. that they can abuse it. It's when you recognize somebody in a leadership position that truly understands their responsibility to everyone else. Yeah. So the next thing that happens is that Trollocs and Fades enter Faldara. Yep. Betrayal. Uh, it's an inside job. They were aided by dark friends. So they, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Uh, so they steal the Horn of Valir uh, and free Pat and Fane. Yeah. And Pat and Fane is like our boogeyman for this book. We don't get a whole lot of him, but he's like, he leads the creatures of the dark who have the horn and he leads them. But he's kind of an evil creature, but he's... He's like part the dark one, but also part Machin Shin. Like he absorbs Mashadar. Mashadar? No, yeah. the dark the black wind. Uh well, so it gets a little more complicated. Oh, God. Uh, you, bring, you bring up a great point that is con the an often confusion. So don't recall that this was revealed or talked about too too much when they have him imprisoned, Egwene wow. is constantly... you know, if I'm Googling Machin Shin, it says Machin Shin versus Mashadar. It's yeah. like the first yeah. Google result. <laughs> it's it's a popular challenge because Jordan came up with so many different ways to represent how evil can occur. Right. Um, and Machin Shin is kind of the representation of the tainted part of the one power, Sadar. Okay. In, or Sadin, sorry. In the ways mm -hmm. and that corruption is its own representation of madness from, from yeah, that taint sure mashadar is the corruption from aradol which was the kingdom that kind of betrayed and left menetherin oh that's right that's, that's the, the shadar logoth yes. stuff right and what what happens and you get more and more of this through the later books i think i don't think that was that was talked about in the great hunt but not really. Uh, this is not a super big spoiler, but what happens to Pad and Fane is that he had, he was essentially the Dark One's hound. Yeah. He is told to follow. He right. goes to the the two rivers, finds all these kids, and he's told to follow them. Yeah. Um, particularly Rand, and when he follows them into Shadar Logoth, he has an encounter with Mashadar. Right. And when he comes out, now he's had. The corruption as a dark friend mm -hmm. for the dark one, and yeah. then also the corruption of the fall of man from Aradol and Shadar Logoth Mashadar. Mm -hmm. And now he's kind of this merger of both. Right. And when he goes through the ways, Machin Shin kind of leaves him alone. Right. Because he's, he's just like, oh, I don't want to mess with that nonsense. Just, oh, man, you got your own thing going on. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I thought I had problems. Exactly. So there's like these layers of evil, right, essentially. Right. And then they don't get along either. Mm -hmm. um, all the Shadow Spawn would not go into Shadar Logoth right. because they were terrified of Mashadar. And so his Patton Fane's. His, he had a bad time. His deal is he's that he's time. having a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. But that is the other thing that happens is he takes the cursed dagger that Matt had mm -hmm. that was that they found in Shadar Logoth and he takes it and he's like, this is mine. This yeah. is part of me. Yeah. They cover that in the Great Hunt. Yeah. So that's why he has that bond to right. the dagger and why right. he wants it so much. That's what I had forgotten that he had followed them into Shadar Logoth. 
um, and that that would have been like a corrupting influence on him before he ever wandered into the ways. The it I don't even think they really talk about it in the Eye of the World or the Great Hunt, but when in the Eye of the World, just to kind of reflect back to there, when Rand and the the crew were going through Camelin, mm-hmm. Rand is moving through the crowd and trying to get a peek at the the Dragon Reborn. Oh yeah, and he's being followed by a peddler or a beggar or whatever. Yeah, a beggar that's like reeks and is the nastiest yeah. person the crowd literally spreads to get away from to him. get away from this creature and this creature is pen fane after he has come from shadar logoth yeah and just struggled as a wayward lost soul across ondor still suffering from mashadar and his hunger to find rand yeah his drive and just thinking of it, at the beginning of the great hunt when he's imprisoned and Egwene's going down to visit him and everything, Egwene kind of has this sense that she wants to help him. Mm-hmm. She hopes that she he might be able to recover. She's kind of getting trying to get some information from him, but she just remembers this peddler yeah. from the Two Rivers that had been there years and years, re- yeah. year after year, bringing gifts and fireworks and trinkets and things. And just the context of all of that makes it really interesting to me to see this character written at the kind of confluence of all these other evil qualities. Like, he's just literally screwed. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rand joins the hunt for Mm -hmm. the horn, and he's like, I'm doing it to help Matt, because Matt needs the dagger or he'll die. So, in Wheel of Time lore, there has to be a great hunt to find the Horn of Valir. Mm Mm-hmm. That's one of the legends, the prophecies, whatever, like yeah. the hunt finds the horn. And it seemed like an eye of the world that we would skip that because they're like, oh, we found the horn of Valir in this well. So mm-hmm. we'll just ship it to Ilian and that'll be fine. Yep. Um, and then it's stolen and now they have to actually uh, have the hunt. Trick. <laughs> um, and the horn of Valir is important because it has to be present at the last battle mm-hmm. between the dragon and the dark one. It summons dead heroes to fight for whoever holds the horn, good or bad. Um, And it's fun because the summoning of the dead heroes reminds me of a wild hunt. Yeah. Um, And it's just so fun that it's like a wild hunt and the great hunt. Um, It's kind of a merger of the wild hunt and the quest for the Holy Grail. Yeah. It's kind of the way that it it kind of comes off. Um, So you have all these knights hunting for the grail the mm-hmm. horn and then you have the horn that summons the wild hunt <laughs> the wild hunt yeah and um a wild hunt if you've never heard of it is a chase led by a mythological leader it's usually accompanied by beasts or warriors it's an element in a lot of folk tales and even more modern stories if you've watched like the witcher tv show mm-hmm. they have the wild hunt in the witcher tv show it's something that you see like you know, fairy lords lead the wild hunt and they chase down mortals. Yeah. Has various versions from Slavic and Norse mm-hmm. folklore. Um, can be spirits. It can be, like you said, fairies mm-hmm. or, or other great powers. Yeah. Um, kind of all man- mishmashed. Yeah. Um, and fun fact, King Arthur is considered the leader of the wild hunt in Britain. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Horn of Valir, spoiler alert, summons our King Arthur stand-in character. Arthur. <laughs> Archer Hawkwing. So that's all very cool. I like the wild hunt aspect of that because it brings in like the fairy tale stuff. Yeah. Um, but while they are on the hunt, Rand 
accidentally transports himself, Huron, and Loyal into an alternate universe. Surprise! Wow. Didn't know they had those. Um, and they're using, they're not using way gates because way gates are like fast travel points. Instead, they're using stones. They just call mm-hmm. them stones, I portal, think. Portal stones? Portal stones from the Age of Legends. Yep. Um, and the one they land in is the Trollocs 1 wor- uh, world. Um, but it's all faded out because it's not a very probable world. There's yeah. not a lot of chance that it would happen. Um, and I want to talk more about the alternate universe stuff later when they do it again because it's like the stuff that happens later is absolutely wacky. Yeah. <laughs> um, so while they're in this other alternate history world, they encounter <sighs> Celine, <laughs> who may or may not be the bane of my existence. Oh. Um, <laughs> I thought that was the white cloaks. <laughs> is, well... It's a lot of people here, apparently. I think she was one of the main reasons I stopped reading The Great Hunt the first time. Okay. Because I got so tired of nearly every single female character just being obsessed with Rand. I was like, literally, he's a teenage boy. Get over it. So it was very nice for me to know going in this time that Celine is, we find this out at the end of The Great Hunt, she's Lanfear who is one of the Forsaken, who is one of the most powerful followers of the Dark One. And she's obsessed with Rand because he's the Dragon Reborn. He's the spirit of Luz Theron. And she and Luz Theron used to be a thing. Boom. (laughs) So, like, going in and knowing that, I was able to be like, this is now hilarious because she is trying... Like, every other sentence she says to Rand is like, you could be a great man. You could have greatness. And he's like, you're very pretty, but I don't want to be great. I am a shepherd. I'm a shepherd? It's one of the lines she's like, I've heard it told that great men make their own luck. And Rand just says very tiredly, please stop. (laughs) He's like, I get it. You want me to be a great man. Just, I'm very busy. Just reach busy. out and take the horn. Just, just touch it. Just, just, just take it. I had, <laughs> I had wanted to ask about that because I knew this was your your second time going into the Great Hunt, and that you had you had gotten about halfway before. So I didn't realize uh, that your frustration had had been kind of Blanfear and or Celine and the focus being on everybody kind of coming yeah. back to Rand. Well, then we switch, like, right after this, we go to Tarvalin, and you're like, oh, Elaine's obsessed with Rand, and Min's obsessed with Rand. And I was like, and Egwene is a little obsessed with Rand. I was like, please, someone. <laughs> this is this is something that comes to mind when you have a story where the main character is male, and the main character, the purpose of the story is more or less that particular character's story. Right. When you're writing, more or less, everything needs to serve that story. Yeah. Otherwise, you get Bail Doman. And why are we talking about Bail Doman? <laughs> right. Or why are we talking about these other characters that aren't talking about Rand now? Yeah. Um, that bogs down the story. But I also, of course, respect that all these other female characters have other goals, other mm-hmm. needs. And that's going to come eventually. The way yeah, that just, I've been looking at this it again. It starts off a little rocky. It's really rocky. And it's funny because one of the things I was going to mention is that you've now made it through the second book. Jordan at this point still thought this would be like a six book series. Bless his heart. And so when I think about the pacing and what he's writing and why 
the Eye of the World, that journey took like eight weeks, maybe, from the beginning of the Eye of the World to the end. This book actually does a time jump. It sure does. (laughs) Thoughts about that later, too. (laughs) And that, I realized, looking at, is so frustrating because some of the stuff that happens during that time is just kind of assumed. And then they do talk about it later. But if you were to go back and write these same perspectives of the same overarching story early, but with the knowledge that it would be 14 books, it would be written so much more differently. And I think a lot of the women would have much better perspectives and more chapters early on. Yeah. Um, the later books of the series definitely get way more complicated and they get way more perspectives for all the women. And Um, that's like, that's fine. And I understand like one of the things is that this whole story is based around the idea that women have been the magical powerhouse for 3,000 years or something, a thousand years, however long it's been. (laughs) Oh, wow, I got it. Um, but the prophesied one is a male channeler. Yeah. And it's very specifically like we have the split between the magic. And so like it makes sense that Rand is, you know, you need to focus on your main character. Yeah. That's fine. And it, you know, it's fine. It was just like coming off of <laughs> Celine and then to immediately go to Tarvalin where Egwene and Elaine and Min are like they, arguing about who gets Rand. I was kind of amused at that. Like, I, I just why? listened to those chapters and <laughs> yeah. you bringing that up, I had not really thought about it in that context. Yeah. That it, You're right. It does immediately go from Celine obsessing over Rand to then the three mm-hmm. discussing Rand and like Elaine and Egwene and Min are all like, oh, you know, whichever one of us he chooses. And I'm right. like, wow, that does start off like... <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get Egwene. Yeah. Because, like, she's known Rand forever. Elaine met him for one afternoon, and she's, like, every chapter, she's like, I wonder how Rand's doing. I'm like, girlfriend, you are training to be an Aes Sedai. Surely you have some other stuff to focus and on right now. she's the daughter heir of You're a whole kingdom. You're the daughter heir of a whole Maybe kingdom. Maybe you have some other things to consider in your life. <sighs> That's absolutely true. Yeah. Min has at least a little more of a reason to consider him because she has the vision. She she's, has the vision. She knows like a lot of what's coming just yeah. due to her like visiony stuff. Yeah. So like I get it. It's fine. But that's um, a very valid point, though. But I, like, I like having that. that understanding helped me power through the rest of this book. That's yeah, all I'm saying. So <laughs> she's trying. Celine is trying to turn Rand to the dark side. It's n- it's not going too great. So far, he's mostly confused about why she's talking to he's him so at all. He's so oblivious. He's so oblivious. Um, but he sort of figures out how to channel or like how to like calm his mind so that he can touch the one power. Mm-hmm. The um, flame in the void. The flame in the void, which was very important in the first book. And he gets them back to the real world through the stones again. And they arrive far ahead of the hunt and find themselves close to Pad and Fane. Yeah. And so encouraged by Lanfear slash Selene, Rand sneaks in and steals the horn from Pad and Fane. Um, and this whole book is like a game of hot potato with the horn it of is, the It is. And I love this particular <laughs> moment where, you know, he's finally caught up to the horn. He's been desperate yeah. to do it. And this is the first time that they've caught up to him. And he sneaks in while the camp is sleeping. And like the Trolloc that's supposed to be on watch is completely useless as job. Mm-hmm. And... Celine has convinced Rand to be the ballsiest person he right. can be. And he like, you know, belly crawls into the camp. <laughs> right next to Pat and Fane. 
back, friends. Just sort of shuffles it back out. Like yeah. He's like, you're loyal. You can carry this yeah. now. I'm just like, who? In, nobody in their right mind does that. No. <laughs> no. And you are, I feel like we're sort of getting Rand going a little crazy. Or at least like he does some things and then later he's like, why did I do that? And like we're we're starting to see that a little more, yeah, um, happening. Um, but he gets the horn and absconds with it to Carhaim. Mm-hmm. He's like, the hunt will end up there eventually. It's fine. And Carhaim, which is where Moraine is from, is the double speak capital of Randland. Yeah, that's a great description. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Uh, they're all involved in Deus de Mar, which is what they call the Great Game, which we talked about a little bit earlier, which mm-hmm. is like the political maneuvering and doublespeak. And it's hilarious, as we discussed. It's This goes back to, you know, Moraine shuffling him off with all the coats and everything. Mm-hmm. He arrives at the gate. And Looking he, amazing. <laughs> he is like, mm. But he doesn't right. want to look like that. Right. He's like, these are the only clothes, only clothes I, have. I have. And Huron <laughs> is ready. He's like yeah. so ready for this. He's like, Lord Rand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's been calling him that the whole time anyway. And poor Loyal, he's just kind of going along with it because he also sees a lot of qualities in yeah. Rand that well, also, he doesn't understand humans necessarily, but Rand is this... This right, like, right. Okay. He knows, it's Loyal important. knows Rand is Tavarin. Also, Loyal doesn't want to be in charge. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. No, no. One of the things that I keep reflecting in this particular book, since you get so much more of Loyal, mm-hmm. is that he is essentially also a young teenager yes. like everyone else. Yes. He's and 90 years old, but he's like the same age as yeah. our protagonist. And so all of the ways that he interacts and like kind of, you know, he's shy, he's reserved, he, he doesn't. He's not a very forceful personality, mm-hmm. but he's very caring. He's very helpful. And this is where everybody starts to fall in love with Loyal. Yeah. Loyal is one of the best characters in this whole series. But this whole time, like, he keeps trying to tell Rand that you, you need to kind of play along with this. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. going to be your best bet. Yeah. He gets in and Rand immediately is sent, like, three <laughs> letters that somehow everybody in Karahine knows uh, and sees that some new lord from yeah, Ondor. Yeah. Yeah, and he burns the letters and, like, loudly announces that he's not involved in the great game. He's, like, standing in the middle of an inn and he's like, I'm not playing your stupid game. And every single person in the tavern is like, oh, my God, he's such a dedicated player of this game. <laughs> what does he mean? What does he mean? So they're waiting in Carhain for the rest of the hunt to catch up with them. But Pat and Fane once again steals the horn back burns their inn down before the hunt can catch up with them. Not but- just the inn. They were running through, and I got distracted during the chapter when I was listening to it, but it's it's part of the Illuminators Guild. So they're, so one of the things that's happening to them is they're being chased. So Trollocs are gradually infiltrating the city, and they're like yeah. pretending they're puppet Trollocs or right. whatever. And they're chasing Celine, who shows up briefly, and Rand, and, and they chase them through the Illuminators Guild. And... One of the things that Rand does is he's like, and the Illuminators do fireworks, by the way, that's important for what's coming next, is that Rand sets off fireworks and blows up some Trollocs yeah. and like smashes them to smithereens yeah. like they're just no longer in existence. Yeah. So technically Rand blows up the Illuminators kill. Yep. <laughs> that's fine. No consequences, I'm sure. And like uh, Celine's appearance was so like sporadic too. Yeah. She like shows up and is out. Yeah. She's like... 
checks in and she's like, are you going to do what I tell you to do yet? No. Okay, I can't deal with this. <laughs> Goodbye. Not good enough. <laughs> yeah. So Padden Fane takes a way gate to Toman Head to, on the coast and leaves a message for Rand to yeah. follow him. And he's like vaguely threatening, like, I'll, I'll mess up Iman's field if you yeah. don't follow me. If you me. don't follow me, I yeah. will go back to Iman's field and do terrible things to yeah. your family and friends. And so in order to catch up the hunt, which can't go through the way gates because the way gates are blocked by Machin Shin, yep. the Black Wind, um, they are forced to take the stones again, the alternate universe path. But this time, Rand, bless his heart, accidentally makes them all live through a myriad of alternate lives. Yeah. And so this is so interesting. I don't, I know like multiverse thing is very popular now yeah we're seeing it in a lot of marvel movies there's even like a michelle yeo movie coming out like mm-hmm. this next month or yeah it just came out or something where it's like multiverse yep. stuff and so that's basically what's happening here is rand takes them through a multiverse of their lives where like you see what would have happened if he'd stayed in amon's field or if he'd been born somewhere else or, or like all this stuff and you don't actually see that a lot in books. I don't know if you've ever seen it in another book. I don't know that I've seen to it stand out in this way. I think Jordan definitely spiced up this fantasy story quite a bit by involving multi multi-dimensional theory, essentially. Yeah. Um if you if you reflect back and think that this book was written in the nineties, uh nineteen ninety, so the tail end of the eighties. Yeah. Um, some of the knowledge that we were developing and our understanding of physics and uh, string theory was getting mm-hmm. really big at that point. And again, Jordan was an engineer by trade. Yeah. And he's a very, very smart person, also a very big historical, um, mm-hmm. you know, historian. Um, and, you know, this is this is all about merging a whole bunch of different stories. And as we've talked about outside of the the podcast, there's so many different ways to tell any story. Yeah. Any folk tale, any fairy tale has variations from different cultures. Yeah. So now Jordan's exploring the idea, well, even within my own story, there are variations. Yeah. There are other possibilities. Yeah. The wheel itself is just a cycle of going through some of the same motions every time. The dragon has fought the dark one mm-hmm. many times before. What do other dimensions or other variations of that story look like? And the first time uh, you reference that uh, Rand sets off the portal by accident, they go to a world that the the Dark One had kind of won. The mm-hmm. Trollocs had overrun the world. Um, fortunately, like you mentioned, it was a kind of a faded, washed out, washed out, you know, unlikely scenario. Yeah. And now he's kind of still doesn't know what he's doing. Right. He's trying to read all these symbols on this portal stone and then just sets off a chain of like <laughs> dozens of yeah. variations. Yeah. And so like he sees himself back in Edmund's field, um, you know, married to Gween mm-hmm. and has kids and he's talking about, you know, Tam holding his grandchildren mm-hmm. and you know, very beautiful, charming possibility. Um, and I can't even remember which other like kind of flickers you see, which there's like he he fights defending Iman's field. He goes out and he joins a different army. He does yeah. 
Like, and, and like at the end of every single one, he dies yep. and he hears the dark one's voice saying, I win, I win again, again loose Theron. Is just like this hilarious, it's almost like Skeletor or, right. you know, the, the classic cheesy villain mm -hmm. in his final words. Yeah. But they make it out. Yeah, they make it out four months later. Four months later. I can't tell you how frustrated I was because he spends like 25%, like the first 25% of this book were in Faldara mm -hmm. with Rand just wandering around, bouncing off walls, not sure what to do. And then we just do a little time skip in here. Yeah. And like the most tense, like we desperately need to catch up to Pad and Fane or else like... And we're just going to do a little little time skip. We're just going to hop over that. Yeah. This kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. We're like, in reflection, I bet the story would be written and paced a lot differently yeah. if he didn't think he was trying to wrap this up in six books. Yeah. But that's the way it goes. So meanwhile, while the, the hunt has been going on, the Aes Sedai return to Tar Valen with Nynaeve and Egwene, mm -hmm. who are going to become baby Aes Sedai. So we get an intro to Tar Valen, but it's mostly like the process of becoming an Aes Sedai. So the first thing that we get is Nanive going through the portals. The, the, yeah, or not the, the, the arches. Right. The um, so test. I thought that was interesting. Um, and again, just in reflection, I think this would have been set up a lot differently if pacing had been considered differently. But your your first encounter back at the White Tower is Nanive going through like the possible arches. futures again basically. yeah similar to the portal yeah. stones now it's a rite of passage in order yeah. to become an Aes Sedai you must face your reflections these other possibilities of what could have been yeah you must choose mm -hmm. to be an Aes Sedai over anything else yeah you must master your own fears and your own desires to be an Aes Sedai to be calm to control the power that is raging inside you and could overwhelm you and kill you and everybody else. Yeah. You have to be willing to make that choice every time, no matter what else is happening. Yeah. And Anive goes through some struggles. Yeah. yeah she, she does. Almost screws it up completely. Well, in her defense, it was like her and Lan were married and they had like babies mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. um Malkir was restored, and that it was like a you know really happy, really sweet. Yeah. And she's like, no, no, don't show me happiness. I can't deal with that. <laughs> Bless her heart. Yeah. And then she like but summons she, her own. Doorway. She summons her own door because yeah. you the arch only appears once yeah. is what they tell her before she begins the test, and uh, Nynaeve doesn't like that, so she makes the arch appear herself. I love that. Yeah. That is. As such a naive thing. And this starts to go back to, um, I think, some of the, the seeds of where Jordan starts to write th these female characters' desires and stories from their own perspective more. Yeah. Uh, you know, none of this has to do with Rand directly at all. Mm -hmm. um, even though one of Nanive's main driving goals is protecting her people right. from the two rivers and rand is certainly one of those people she wants to go and protect but right now it's about her bitterness at the the Aes Sedai screwing everything up taking yeah. her people away 
getting all up in her business, but she realizes that she has this power, whether she wants it or not. So she's going to, she's going to take yeah. it. She's going to yeah. take it and make it her. She wants this responsibility because she knows that she can do good things with it eventually. Yeah. I love that for her character. Yeah. It is definitely getting a little, I mean, a little repetitive for Nynaeve to be so very much right now focused on blaming Moiraine and blaming the Aes Sedai for everything that's happened to her. Mm -hmm. And it's really her struggling with, like, accepting that her role in life is changing and, like, where she will be and who she will be is changing. And she's, like, very much struggling with that. And so in Tarvalon, we meet Elaine, who we've mentioned, the mm-hmm. daughter heir of Andor. and A character came back. Uh, obsessed with Rand and Min, who can see the pattern that the wheel weaves and obsessed with Rand. Um, <laughs> and so we get into the, the struggles of being a channeler of how intoxicating the one power can be and how much you really want to use it once you start. Um and it's how dangerous it is because you can burn yourself out if you channel too much. Yep. And we are starting to see um, Egwene struggling with that because she loves the power and it doesn't scare her the way she thinks it should. Yeah. She's like, I know I should be scared of this, but also it's really cool. Yeah. So uh, I'm super into it. Even though I know it's dangerous. And I love um, that perspective too. Like I think that's that I empathize with that. Like I get mm-hmm. that. Um, I certainly can't channel magic. But like <laughs> when you learn something that is very dangerous, any kind of skill, there's a thrill and a fascination with it. Yeah. But then acknowledging that you should be, that maybe, you know, you should watch yourself and yeah. consider things like that's a sign of maturity. Yeah. And she's also slightly younger yeah. than even Egwene. Um, I think Elaine is. Elaine is yeah. like sixteen or seventeen, and mm-hmm. Egwene is a year or two older. Um, and then Eve, three or four years or something older than that. Um, but it's it's interesting to consider because they also talk about uh, Gawain and Gawain, mm-hmm. um, and they're both her older brothers. And I had always considered. Elaine and Gawain to be twins. Right. But they, he's, they he's a year of, older. They do sort of have that vibe yeah. of twins. Um, but yeah, he is a year older. Um, but yeah, so like Egwene is very much uh, a, like appreciative of Gawain and Gawain sure, when they walk sure. up all shirtless from their warder uh-huh, training. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and even men's pretty appreciative. I thought that was amusing. There, they're not talking about Rand anymore. Sure, sure. For this one chapter. (laughs) Yeah. It's like we know some stuff about Elaine's brothers, but right now they're like set pieces. Yeah. We're we're setting them up so that later we know who they are and we can draw them into the story and have them affect it. Very much a new consideration reading rereading this story or re-listening to it and realizing how many of these characters are splashed in yeah and they have relevant ties early on yeah but they really don't have any development like all all the knowledge i have about gawain and galad from later is in the story their personalities are not fleshed out in these first two books at yeah they're, they're fleshed out like you they're... get a pretty solid understanding of galad in particular right because elaine is like he'll do 
whatever's right. Yeah. No matter who it hurts. Yeah. Like, he doesn't have any human feeling to him because he's so focused on justice. But, I mean, Gowan right now, he's pretty much a blank slate right yeah. now. Like, so they, he, and, he and Elaine have an affectionate they have relationship. An, a nice he rapport. teases her. Yeah. She teases him. But there's not really much to Gowan. Yet. Yeah. Um, it's just setting him up. Yeah. So later he can fall tragically. Oh, that's right. You Fail know, miserably. You know things. I know things, reader. It's fine. Uh, wow. <laughs> listen, I said once that Gowan was, you know, kind of all right, and I got corrected on the <laughs> internet. So. <laughs> oh, that's right. Your friend. Yep, yep, yep. yep. So we're, we're vibing at the White Tower. The girls are hanging out. They're like, wow, channeling is super cool and also super scary. And they don't like chores. And they don't like chores. Especially. Uh, I mean, who would? And then Leandrin of the Red Aja, which is the subset of the Aes Sedai, meant to curtail dangerous use of the one power, but mostly they hunt down men who can channel. Leandrin shows up and tells them she's had a message from Moraine and Rand needs their help. These are two completely unconnected sentences that she just sort of mashes together and lets them assume, <laughs> like... She's like, wow, you know, I got a message from Moraine. By the way, your friend is in trouble. Do you like need to help? Do you want to help him or are you like wimps? <laughs> um. Also, we know a little bit about Leandrin because she was introduced yes. back in Faldar at the beginning of this book. Yes. Um, being... And she scared the ladies of Faldara with mention of the Black Aja. Yeah. She was like, there are subsets of dark friends amongst the Aes Sedai even. So you can't trust anybody. Yep. Um, and she's being all real shifty and like yeah. when Rand bursts in to go like find out what happened to, to Perrin and Egwene and yeah. you know Pat and Fane's escape and everything like Leandra's all extremely suspicious but she also has this like she assumes that she is better than everybody else because she is an Aes Sedai mm -hmm. she's like obviously all these people will bow to me and like I'm humoring them because I'm more powerful than, than them because I am an Aes Sedai. Yep. And like, that's very much her mindset. Oh yeah. And so we do get her perspective early on. I don't think we get it later, but we do in the beginning. Um, and so all the girls agree to go because they want to help Rand. And Leandrin leads them through a way gate and shock horror into a trap. Oh no, who could have foreseen these events? Did you? I mean, it was super suspicious. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I have to backtrack here and we have to talk about what's been going on at Toman Head on the coast. Yeah. Because at the beginning-ish of this book, an army from across the ocean, the Sanchen, landed and began taking over the area, making everyone swear these super vague oaths of loyalty. The Sanchen are Archer Hawkwing's descendants who left like a thousand years ago or something. Mm -hmm. And now they're back. They're very concerned with honor, the bloodline of Arter Hawkwing. They have strange beasts. And importantly for this trap, they keep magic wielders in slavery. Yeah. So Leandrin tries to hand over Nynaeve and Egwene to the Sanchen, specifically because she wants them to be enslaved and then taken across the ocean where they won't be able to help Rand. Yep. She's like... We got instructions that these two people specifically need to not be here. They need to be far away, away from the Dragon Reborn. Because otherwise, if they're here, they'll help him. Yeah. Unfortunately for Leandrin and the Sanchin, 
They capture Egwene and Min, but Nynaeve and Elaine escape. Yep. Uh, and Nynaeve learns, like, summon lightning and messes stuff up. It's very good. <laughs> she may not have wanted to be an Aes Sedai, but again, she went through the arches. Right. <laughs> she wants this. She yeah. is ready for this power. Mm-hmm. And these people just showed up, captured her student. Right. And also, they're just rude. <laughs> so rude. Yeah. She's like... Oh, they summon lightning against me. Okay, I can learn that trick and mm -hmm. does it like immediately. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, so she's pretty cool. So that's one of the, the the things that we start to learn more about the one power and how I how it can be learned, whether yeah. you're Aes Sedai or whoever, is that these women can see the weaves. Yes. So since you can see the weave, you can potentially mimic that weave. Mm -hmm. And Nave starts to be really good at it. She sure does. So, as we said earlier, Rand and the Hunt have arrived on the coast of Tome and Head. And now all the girls are on the coast of Tome and Head. And so, eventually, all these threads come together and everyone arrives in the Sea of Falma on the coast. And it's sort of like cartoon characters where, like, you see one group run across the screen going one way. And then <laughs> in the background, the other group runs across the I screen going the other I way. I absolutely love that. So... The girls effect a rescue. They get Egwene free and Min free from the slavery. And that's a whole huge mess. The like Soldam, Adam. Is that what it is? Soldam and Adam? Uh, Demani. Daman. Demani. That's so right. the Soldam is a woman who can control the Demani. Right. The Demani are the enslaved. So they Demani's. have a collar around their neck that limits their ability to use the one power. And right. it's attached to a bracelet by a leash, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, to the Soldam. The Soldam wears the bracelet, and they have complete control over that woman's ability to use the one power. Right. And there's, like, there's this big reveal where it comes out that the Soldam women are also channelers. Like, Demonic Is that talked about in this book? Yeah, that's talked about in this Did book. Because I, because... I still have a few chapters left. <laughs> okay, you have a few, few chapters left. I didn't realize left. it was revealed right off the bat. But, so Nynaeve puts a leash on a soldam that's right and takes her and like puts her in Egwene's that's place that's right it is revealed right off the bat it's revealed like right off the bat and it's like yeah i mean obviously you would have to be a channeler in order to control another channeler yeah like it's not that this item is magic enough that any random person can do it it's that these women are both channelers and so i feel like that's gonna come back in like a pretty big way, Daniel just did eyebrows at me. You can't see it because this is a podcast. <laughs> that's why I questioned whether it was revealed so early. Yeah, because it was. That that is something that that's how they escape with Egwene. Is yeah, they lock up? They do lock up the same with the, the soul. Yeah. So yeah. so that definitely is a a big key factor because because that's you a have... huge part of the Sanchin culture yeah. is this like enslaving of women who channel. They're like every woman who channels is. Like, not a person, they're this demone, yeah. right? They're a slave. Yeah. Um, they can't be trusted with that power. They can't be power. trusted. And it's just like, you know, your whole system is actually completely wrong. <laughs> That's going to be a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and the, the it's interesting to consider that this whole society has built up into enslaving women who can channel, but it's they're only aware of the ones that will use the power whether they want to or not, like Nynaeve. Right. Not the ones that can be 
trained like a queen. Right. That definitely is discussed. Right. They talk about that even in The Great Hunt. Yeah. Like... So that's that's going to become a big deal because the Sanchen are definitely going to have a, a huge uh, impact on the the rest of the story. And the struggle of the Aes Sedai and some of the other cultures and different channelers versus these people coming in trying to enslave all the channelers. Right. How do you topple a great powerful kingdom if their entire power structure relies on using women that the people enslaving the women that can channel could also channel yeah like that's yeah it's gonna be interesting to see i'm glad they they uh, i've only got a few chapters left yeah that's interesting so yeah it's it's like a very big deal for all the women yeah involved there because it's and like because all the soldam know that they can channel like they know they're one breath away from being able do to they? like well a couple of them do at least the ones that they capture do man that's going to change the way i reread this story okay, so, so much okay so i you know you may reinterpret it it's been a month or so since i finished yeah. it but like at least the the main one who had Egwene under her command she yeah, knows Dana. that she can channel and she knows okay. that she's like she has this huge secret that she can channel if anybody finds out then think, she'll be turned into like I think it's just like, that one. Uh, culturally it may just be I think that one. Yeah. most soldom are not aware that they can learn that to channel. That would make more sense. <laughs> um yeah. Um but the it's interesting because while Egwene is collared, she basically uses that time to question mm-hmm. the the soldom who happens to be of a personality that is willing to answer questions right. from this lesser person. Right. Um, you know, she even tells Egwene that most others wouldn't even tolerate any questions right. at all, but I'll humor you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, she, Egwene just starts trying to get as much information out yeah. of this as possible. Yeah. Like she's, she's I mean, ready. she learns a lot about, it sucks, but she learns a lot about channeling from this experience where mm-hmm. like she learns about how she can like find channel through the earth basically. Yeah. Like that's a big deal for her in this book. So, the boys, the girls free Egwene. The boys, Matt, Rand, Perrin, the hunt, etc., they find the horn and the dagger, which are in the possession of a Sanchen lord, yep. because Padden Fane dropped them Turok. off. He was like, he needed leverage on the Sanchen, basically. Yeah. Um, and so, Rand fights and kills the Sanchen lord, who is a, like a blade master. He's a blade master. With like a heron marked blade and everything. Um, and they almost escape the city of Falma, but they get caught between two armies, the Sanchen and the Children of the Light, my two least favorite people. Um, and so there's like stuck, they're on like the hill or whatever between these two armies that are about to fight. And there's only one thing they can do to escape. They have the Horn of Valir. They could use it. And this whole book, it's been built up like Rand is the one who's got to use the horn. The whole time he's like struggling with it. And there's even a bit where the Sanchen Lord says whoever blows the horn is tied to it for the rest of their life. It has to be at the last battle when the dragon fights the dark one. And then it's Matt. Matt, who has had for two books done nothing except Except stolen a badger, (laughs) stolen a dagger, been cursed by said dagger, suffered has had zero point of view chapters 
and then suddenly at the very end of the great hunt he blows the horn of Valir? Are you kidding me? Surprise! <sighs> Another it... reluctant hero. So it worked very well on me as like a subversion of my expectation. Um, because Matt even has this line about Nowhere does it say the horn can't be sounded before the last right? battle as he's like fumbling with it to like mm -hmm, blow the horn. Mm -hmm. And I think that really emphasizes and lays out what Jordan's going to do in this series. It's like, yeah, these prophecies will come true, but it's not necessarily going to be the way you expect yeah. or as, even the way the characters expect. As, as we expect. continue to, to go through the, the books um we have these conversations i definitely want to know even though you have some spoilery information right, right. about some some parts of this i would love to uh kind of always be aware of where you think certain people's characters arcs are going mm -hmm. because even to Man, the very last book i have no idea book, about matt because nothing's he's nothing, done nothing nothing <laughs> has happened but the him blowing the horn um in the midst of this battle that's about to happen and yeah. him blowing the horn and summoning these great warriors uh to fight for him is really finally the the kickoff for his character yeah the, the his particular character blowing the horn is foreshadowing a whole bunch of stuff he's gonna go through yeah and it, it is a big subversion you know rand rand is being the dragon reborn he's this central archetypical hero that's you know all the prophecies are about rand yeah but there are four other people that came out of edmund's field with him and they're i mean the narrative two of, two has, of them has pretty well focused around all you know, of two them. of them in, in in the way jordan initially wrote the story acknowledged as being taviran yeah um the show just kind of doing aside is kind of treating the two the, girls yeah. as taviran as well and, and rightly i think they are yeah um they honestly Egwene, i will say it every time has my favorite arc throughout the entire series mm -hmm. by the end of it it's just amazing there are a lot of people who have a lot of fair criticisms about her character and the way she's written i disagree with most of them she's <laughs> wonderful um and her brief enslavement here yeah. is kind of the kickoff for her character sure. as well well that's a you know that's a huge moment that that's, that's a harsh reality like, to acknowledge is a... now there's this invading army that's going to enslave all these Aes Sedai. Yeah. And she's just now learning how to do that. Yeah. Well, and like, she's just barely learned how to channel and then to suddenly be like, yeah, that's a huge, I'm not surprised that that's like a big defining moment for her. Yeah. Um, so we, so we got here to the end and you, you've got Rand, uh, who's just defeated the, the Sanchen uh lord yeah. who is a blade master right so now we're you know we've circled back around to lon teasing him right. uh, if i had five years i could make him right. a blade master. right <laughs> it it took four months um he <laughs> <laughs> did some like channeling stuff in there okay this is not all and then uh matt blows the horn so uh -huh. he's got this thing going on Egwene goes through the the adam and the, and the enslavement uh nanave realizes that she can start kind of learning new weaves and becoming more yeah. powerful self we did kind of skip through parent that's true who does get a couple of perspective chapters and, and he is sort of he's starting to use his wolf brother stuff yeah. he's like so he starts leading the hunt when yeah. rand disappears with, he with the sniffer Huron, right Huron, who was leading the hunt um perrin takes over 
and starts like actually communicating with the wolves and he's yeah. like okay i know i can do this like this is obviously a thing that's happening to me and he's still sort of accepting it like he knows he can do it and is like using it to his advantage mm-hmm. um i don't remember him having any big moments with that quite yet no unfortunately again the focus of this this particular arc of the story is still more on rand yeah and i mean that's you know he's your he's the dragon reborn he's going to be an important character perrin and and matt you know they're left with lord ingtar and and the rest of the the um baldarins the borderlanders the borderlanders yeah i forget what the Uh, king's called anyway they're left with them and we get a couple of perspectives and some lines between them and ingtar and uh, some of the struggles they're going through, but they they really don't explore any of that time. Yeah. That Matt and Perrin are trying to find Rand. Yeah. Um, we get a perspective from Perrin using the wolves. They refer to somebody who's like shadow killer, and they're talking about Rand, but Perrin doesn't realize that until yeah. later um, yeah. when they finally catch up in Kerrigan. Right. And Perrin sniffs him, and he's like, "Whoa, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you're the shadow killer." <laughs> So I love like some of that being yeah. connected finally. Definitely the time skip I wish had been explored more of the time that the ice, you know, Egwene and Nineveh were training. Right, in the actually White had Tower. some more time in the White Tower. Um, I just feel like Jordan was like, oh, I got to get through the rest of the story. It's like, oh, we're going to skip skip some of this. Yeah. Which I don't really understand why you had to skip four months except to give the girls time to train yeah like and to let Padden fane wander off to wherever he is because right. at the end of the story we don't see him right so i don't know but at the end rand once again faces the dark one i don't remember why that happens he just you know the dark one shows up and he's like hey we gotta fight again mm-hmm. um but this time their fight is seen in the sky over Toman Head. So, yeah. like, you see the Dark One's face, and then you also see Rand's face, and they're, like, fighting in the sky. Um, and Rand, once again, defeats the Dark One, like he did in the Eye of the World, and drives him off. Obviously, the Dark One is not completely defeated. But because everyone saw this, now there are posters of Rand's face proclaiming him to be the Dragon Reborn. Yep. Um, and Rand spent this whole book running from the possibility of being the dragon and like having that responsibility and now he has to accept it that he's going to be a leader and be someone people look up to and like at the end he is sitting around a campfire with a few people and he's like uh why is the dragon banner up you guys I thought we were keeping that on the on DL I thought we weren't talking about that and I think Moraine's like this is it, man. You yeah, gotta... Moraine shows up. She's like, you gotta... What are you gonna do? Like, are you gonna leave these people to not have someone to lead them in the final fight against the Dark One? Are you gonna, like, own up and take responsibility? In the very last lines, Rand's like, death is lighter than a feather and duty is heavier than a mountain. I guess I'm gonna be the dragon. It's Ta-da. like the very, very end. Yep. Yeah. He's yep. got to accept being a leader and being someone people look up to. He's also explicitly severely wounded. Yes. And um, cannot be healed by Aes Sedai. Cannot be healed by Aes Sedai. And Min is there. And Min is there. 
she got rescued along with the she queen. got rescued um so the the thing about that wound uh is again going back to one of my favorite things about the the connections that these stories have is that wound is in his lower left side and that's in the same space that christ was pierced by the spear of longinus so there's you another... told me this is a Jesus metaphor. <laughs> no, Rand has nothing to do with a Christ-like figure whatsoever. No, I can't see it. No, Honestly, uh, I think you're nah, reaching there. Sorry, uh, my bad. I swear you're totally not the Catholic for Church. You. <laughs> yes, it is very well, and that's also a wound that Rand gives himself because, because... that's the like sheathing the sword. He in sacrificed himself. himself. He yeah. sacrificed himself in order to defeat the Dark One. I yeah. love it. I love it. I love. Yeah the mastercraft of this all these different stories and mythologies and religions all coming back around it's yeah. great yeah um and i hope you read the next book it's very interesting where everything finally goes we'll see don't tap out i actually i had a lot of fun reading it so probably i will read book three i'm glad it got more enjoyable uh i remember just the impression I have recalling the first time I read The Great Hunt, I didn't like it as much. I yeah. was frustrated by it, and I don't remember why. I just remember not liking some of the Portal World stuff was yeah. weird to me and, like, interrupted the rest of the story. Yeah. I was like, why Why are we going off in right. this other world? Does it really matter? Like, what, right. what the... And again, fighting the Dark One at the end of the book again. Yeah. It's like, a little... Ugh. It's a little like Harry Potter facing Voldemort at the end of almost every single it Harry is. Potter book. It is. Yeah. Um, fortunately, so though, uh, this will not be the same pattern. The next okay, book does not end say, in the like, same way. I think every, like for the next 12 books, Rand should face an incarnation of the Dark One. And then at the end of every single one... Moraine should show up and be like Peach in Mario and say, I'm sorry, the Dark One is in another <laughs> castle. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Now that's a story. Oh, gosh. So you're saying it's not going to do that? No. No. It starts to get <laughs> just as much as the, the viewpoints opened up and the world got much bigger and elaborate in this book. It's um, going to keep doing the that. Next, the next, it really does start to become, you know, yeah. pyramid shaped or, or whatever you want to think of it. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. Do you have any final thoughts? I mean, I have a whole double-sided note you card here full of knots. You have a whole double-sided note card? Okay, why um, don't you read that? I just had a couple couple other things I wanted to, to bring up. Uh, we actually hit okay. almost every other thing I wrote down. Nice. That was of any interest. Yeah, what um, else you got? Got. So just to kind of reflect back on, on some of the more interesting things I wanted to get your perspective on. So in this uh, book... We get a little bit of Moraine at the beginning, mm -hmm. and then she and Lon have a, a conversation in the middle um, where she tells him yeah. that she might die, most likely. That's a strong possibility. Right. And she doesn't want him to go crazy. Right, and go on like a revenge path and also yeah. die. And also die. So she is doing something that Lon points out hasn't been done in 400 years. Yeah. She is set it up so that when she passes, his bond will pass to another Aes Sedai. Yeah. And she does this specifically because she knows he has feelings for Nynaeve. For Nynaeve. Yeah. And I love that just, again, going back to how cool Moraine's character is. Yeah. And we barely get anything of her in this book. We don't get a lot of perspective from her in the first book. We everything is 
from other characters right. about her. About her. But now... We do finally get a little bit from her in this book. Yeah. The the chapters that we do get of her in this book are from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And she is explicitly setting it up so that Lon might have some future happiness. Yeah. I love that. It's yeah. so cool to me. Um, and that's something else, of course, is set up more explicitly in the show yes, that I can't I, wait to see. The show, I think the show did that very well. Yeah. Just like... They explore the bond so much more explicitly in the show to start off with. Um, So I thought that was really cool. But Moraine isn't present in this story with Rand very much. Mm -hmm. But there is an Aes Sedai. Mm -hmm. And it's Varen. That's true. What did you think about Varen? I... (sighs) Varen is such a different aspect of the Aes Sedai. Mm -hmm. So she is the brown... A brown Aja. Yep. Which is like the... Historians, the historians, librarians, archivists, librarians, the archivists. So she she brings like a different aspect to it because we've seen Moraine mostly, and we have seen Leandrin a little bit, Mm -hmm. and like the blue and the red are probably the ones that get the most page time. Probably they're like that's another one of the data, the sexiest ones, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) they're the more interesting ones. But she has such a a clinical mind about it, where she's like. Thinking about studying how people descend into madness yeah. when they're like male channelers. And she has such a clinical mindset about it. And that's not necessarily a negative thing, right, for a character to have that sort of mindset. But it's something that can easily turn into like looking at people as data points mm-hmm. instead of looking at them as people. Yeah. Um, and she was also hilarious in this book. Like... She wins the award for the second funniest character after Moraine because she, <laughs> when they're traveling from Faldara to Tarvalin, she's like, hey, you know what novices have to do, Nynaeve? They have to do chores or else they part. get horrifically punished. Uh, and it works on Nynaeve. And then later when they're, she joins the Great Hunt. Um, and then later when they're going through the stones, she's like, yes, I have read of these stones. I know how they work. And then, like, they get to the stone and she looks at Rand and she's like, I have no idea how these work. Yep. You're going to have to do all of this. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> Book knowledge versus practical skills. Right. She's like, yeah, I've read about these. I've heard of them. I know stuff as much as can be learned about the stones from books. Yep. Uh, and then she just looks at Rand and she's like, well, <laughs> what you going to do, bud? You're the dragon here, not me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it's so interesting because she's, like, the first person we see pick up on this conspiracy between moraine and salon mm-hmm. where she's like listen you guys are trying to play it cool but i'm not an idiot so yeah. one of these boys is the dragon reborn and she like picks that up in the beginning in faldara yeah well she's and, part of the she's in the room with yeah. the conversation when they bring rand in yeah um with swan and, and moraine so like their conversation you know again playing dice Mm -hmm. you know with the words and everything they're not saying rand is the dragon reborn right but varen's like she's picking it up she picks it up very quickly more than meets the eye here yeah there's this moment where we're in moraine's perspective and it kind of sounds like she's planning to like push varen off a cliff to make her like disappear because moraine is so dedicated to this goal of finding the dragon and like making him successful that like any 
any possible intrusion on that that might like upset her plans yep she'll do anything i was like are we gonna see some aes Sedai on aes Sedai like violence right now yeah, like... yeah. that another, i'd forgotten about that but that was another key point that really reveals moraine's mission and like yes. her will to make this happen like she's still gathering information she doesn't know what needs to happen mm -hmm. what ran needs to do she just knows that he needs to be there to do it yeah and she can't risk anybody else interrupting that yeah so she's like ready to just off anybody if she can't if she that needs was to absolutely the vibe i got oh yeah so unfortunately moraine has her own blind spots and it wasn't varon that was the issue <laughs> right well <laughs> There's only so much you can do, you know. <laughs> Leandra was right there in fault the whole time. <laughs> but Moraine is off doing research when Leandrin is in Tarvalin. Yep. Absconding with the kids. Absconding the with the kids. So. Yep. But yeah, I just, I really liked going from, you know, book one, Moraine's your Aes Sedai. Yeah. You meet Elida at Camelin with right. Queen right. Morgaz. And then... You're off to, to Faldara. Yeah. And that's all you know about the Aes Sedai. You know, Tarvalin's some some magical place where all the women go to learn magic. Now you've got Leandrin, a red, and Varen, a brown. Mm -hmm. um, and there were, you know, the swan and uh, you made a couple of whites and a couple of other yeah, browns. Yeah, they, they don't have a whole lot to do in this book, but... But you get this time with Varen and you get to see this personality of, yeah. you know, they're, like you said, they're kind of dispassionate they're about learning yeah. and you know they're the studious kind of introverted people but she's there she's with the the hunt mm -hmm. traveling across the world and she's like ah hmm, he might be the dragon i wonder what it'll be like when he goes mad i yeah. guess i'll write it down yeah she's she doesn't want to like She's doing like an independent study and yeah. doesn't want to like mess with the results by like influencing she's like, too much. He's her control group. She's like, well, he's the dragon. We're gonna see what happens. Uh, yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to to reference and go back to is we get. Uh, I, I talked about loyal briefly. Mm -hmm. um, we get a lot more of loyal's personality here, but we also specifically go to a steading. Yes. In order to go find. A way to get to Tome and Head. Yeah. They have to go look for a different way gate. They find out that it's blocked. Machin Shen is, for whatever reason, is immediately right there when they open the way gate. Uh, so they can't go through. They could try to another way gate in the steading. Right. Yeah. It's right there. Why is it there? Yeah. Is it chasing Rand? He thinks so. But uh turns out there's a portal stone just outside of that steading, and that's where they, they yeah. find a way to get through. But their time in the steading, they meet some of the other Ogier, mm -hmm. uh, Elder Haman and, and or not Haman, that's Loyal's dad. Um, I can't remember the, their names, but specifically you meet Aerith, yeah. who is another young Ogier mm -hmm. that Loyal has an intense crush on. Yeah. And it's adorable. It's and I love it. Um, Matt even teases him about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. It was... Um... That is very funny. I the so the Ogier are so peaceful. They're you know tree folk or whatever. Mm -hmm. But one of the lines about them is that like they know who and what they are, and they're comfortable with who and what they are. Yeah. Like they're at peace with their place in the world, mm -hmm. and that's such a a powerful thing to see just in general. Yeah. Like when you see someone who's comfortable in themselves and knows who they are and what they're doing. 
Um, and, and they're, you know, being the tree folk, you know, they're they're about maintaining their their space and yeah. letting growth happen and nurturing it. And they're not in a race to change everything. They're not tearing things down. They're not trying to build overly. Yeah. Um, the steading itself is, you know, this protected safe space of peace. Yeah. Um, one of the big things about the steading is that when you go into a steading, you are cut off from even sensing the one power. Yeah. Um, and that's just another important piece of the overall story that's going to come back later, of course. Um, but I just like getting more of the Ogier and yeah. their society uh, opening up here. One of my biggest disappointments about the the overarching saga is that I don't think the Ogier get enough hmm. development. Um, we don't get too, too much of them throughout the rest of the story. But they're fun. And I just really yeah. liked that, that Jordan took this time to yeah. to bring them in a little more. Yeah. And yeah, that pretty There's much that is it. There's that whole bit about how... Loyal is scared he's going to be married off like mm -hmm. immediately and have to stay in a steading. Yep. And then Matt is like laughing at him. He's like, what? You know, back home, the women don't decide everything. And Rand thinks about it. And he's like, Matt, I think that's actually how we do that's, it at home, that's too. That's exactly how we do it at home. <laughs> and Matt falls silent. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless their little hearts. <laughs> Literally introduced to Edmondsfield in the first book with the women's circle coming in to browbeat the men's right, council right, and be like, right. what are y'all doing? <laughs> yep. Well, thanks for coming to talk with me about it. Woo. Yeah, I know, but... it's such a hard sell to get you to come I... talk about Wheel of Time. <laughs> uh, sometimes, you know, I, I realize I just get tired of talking about the Wheel of Time and then I remember I don't. <laughs> <sighs> so... Do you have any suggestions for books like The Great Hunt? It feels a little bit of a cop-out to, to reference it again, but I'm just going to remind your listeners that if they haven't checked out the Dark Tower series sure. by, by Stephen King, it has some similar hunt aspects to it. It involves some similar mythologies, mm -hmm. um, a lot of classic quest-type storytelling. Mm -hmm. I will just reference one of my other favorite uh, you can always early just fantasy <laughs> other fantasy series um is the belgariad by mm. david eddings okay um it has probably another one of my favorite magic systems um it also has another one of my favorite female characters in paul gara mm -hmm. uh, who's this wonderfully powerful and sassy sorceress um but the the overarching story is uh about a young uh, man even younger than Rand who is going to be kind of the chosen one mm -hmm. and he has to learn to be the hero and he's a reluctant hero of course um, and he has to learn magic but the mentor is his grandfather uh -huh. and uh, Paul Gara is his aunt hmm. and I like the family dynamic that kind of involves and these are probably there are five short books that in total are probably less than three of the Wheel of Time books, maybe even less than two of them. <laughs> okay. Um, but they're really fun. And Paul Guerra is just one of my favorite characters. Okay. And it all revolves around kind of additive and subtractive magic. Okay. Um, so I liked some of the rules for that. It was really good. I haven't read either of those. So. Yeah. 
Um, my suggestion for media like this is the Spirit Walker trilogy by Kate Elliott, which starts with cold magic, but it very much has like, you can cross into a spirit world and the wild hunt is a big part of that. Nice. And it focuses on people who draw their magic from, so the world had like an extended ice age. And so there are cold mages who draw their magic from, like, the huge glaciers that are around the world. And then there are fire mages who draw their magic from fire and, like, internal stuff. It's it's a very interesting um, trilogy. I read all of it. It was really good. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's a lot of As fun. As always. Join me next time to hear about Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. Have you read next episode's book or this episode's book? I'd love to hear what you think about it. You can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or just share it with a friend. You can follow the podcast on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. The music is by Joseph McDade. As always, you can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon. We didn't quite keep it under an hour. I knew. I figured it was going to be really hard. I was like, oh, this is going to be like maybe an hour and a half. I'll cut it down. We'll see what what happens. Yeah. <laughs>